more intense cocoa roasting leads to less bitter chocolate. Research conducted by the Penn State Sensory Evaluation Center showed a relationship between roasting levels and bitterness in chocolate. Specifically, using a more intense roast profile appears to reduce levels of bitterness, according to the researchers. The challenge currently facing chocolate companies is in satisfying people's sweet tooth with less sugar as consumers become more health-conscious. Typically, companies are looking towards sugar alternatives, but this has often affected the flavor in an undesirable way. Helene Hopfer, Rasmussen Career Development Professor in Food Science in the College of Agricultural Sciences, comments, more and more people these days are eating darker chocolates with less sugar and more cacao because they are trying to cut down on sugar intake or they want to take advantage of perceived health benefits. There is typically a consequence that big chocolate companies have to consider when increasing the cocoa content and accordingly, decreasing levels of sugar. By using lower quality cocoa, the bitterness of the chocolate is intensified, which reduces its appeal to consumers who want chocolate to be a sweet snack. Then there is the cost implication, as cocoa can be the most expensive input into the overall cost of the product, so companies tend to prefer adding cheap ingredients. However, this is a challenge that companies may have to overcome, as consumers become more savvy and conscientious in their purchasing choices. The goal of this new study was to determine the relationship between roasting cocoa beans and the taste of the final product. The findings confirmed that consumers disliked bitterness in chocolate, but also demonstrated that these undesirable qualities could be reduced by fine-tuning the roasting process. Our research was intended to learn about bitterness perception and the liking of chocolate made from cacao, roasted with a variety of roasting profiles to see if wide consumer acceptability of 100% chocolate is possible, said Hopfer. The study looked at consumer perception of bitterness from a sensory evaluation standpoint, looking to quantify this information. In this sense, it differs from past studies that focused on bitter compounds found in cocoa beans, according to Hopfer. Partnering with Penn State for this study was Alan McClure, the founder of Patrick Chocolate and Related Consultancy, Patrick Food and Beverage Development. McClure sourced cocoa beans from three different locations, Madagascar, Ghana and Peru, and used his facilities in Columbia, Missouri, to roast and grind the beans into a cocoa liquor, which was then shipped to Penn State as solidified 100% chocolate. The study involved 145 people tasting 27 different samples of 100% chocolate over five consecutive days. Each sample was roasted at a different intensity and prepared as a small chocolate disc for participants to consume. The findings, published in Current Research in Food Science, indicated that consumers' acceptance of unsweetened chocolate was directly tied to the intensity of the roast. As an example, the participants found the unsweetened chocolate most enjoyable when the cocoa beans were roasted for 20 minutes at 340 degrees Fahrenheit, 80 minutes at 275 Fahrenheit, or 54 minutes at 304 Fahrenheit. 100% chocolate produced from lightly roasted cacao, such as those roasted for 11 minutes at 221 Fahrenheit, or 55 minutes at 147 Fahrenheit, were deemed unacceptable, however. McClure says these findings will guide him and roasters at chocolate manufacturing companies going forward. He stated that when it comes to producing 100% chocolate, there isn't much that chocolate makers can do, once they are in possession of the beans, to influence the flavor of the final product, 
other than vary their approach to the roasting. Our results show optimal roasting can adequately reduce bitterness, concludes Hopfer. Continuing to study every aspect of chocolate production from bean to bar will hopefully produce new innovations in chocolate production and answers to some of the challenges raised by evolving consumer trends. These findings may not come as a surprise to bean-to-bar chocolate makers who have been roasting for years, but it starts to establish data points about the effect of roasting on sweetness. This will be useful in applying science to quantify the approach, remove the trial and error and get more predictable results. One of my favorite jobs is writing about innovative companies that do good things, either at a macro level or in a community. This week, I read about Inaru, who took the well-intentioned framework behind Fairtrade and fixed it so that it worked better, in particular for smaller farmers. The company is getting attention after it recently raised $1.5 million to realize their plan to create a sustainable cacao production network in the Dominica Republic, using a clever corporate and capital structure that is going to be fairer to producers. But first, who are Inaru? According to Crunchbase, it's two sisters, Jeanette and Erica Liriano, working out of New York. These girls changed the cocoa farming model in their home country of the Dominican Republic, and people are paying attention. In fact in 2019 Forbes magazine named Janet Liriano the 30 under 30 for manufacturing and industry. The company's website describes themselves as a movement in modern, ethical agriculture. Based in the Dominican Republic, Inaru is building a vertically integrated ecosystem for the production of organic cacao, from farming to fermentation, refinement, and product development. More than 300 farmers have been certified organic by the company, with 1,800 more on a waiting list, and exclusive contracts for 500 tons of cocoa have been signed. The problem with fair trade. Jeanette talks directly of the issues she's seen with the regular certification schemes, including, but not limited to fair trade. As we know, to become fair trade, the producer has to pay. Yet, the majority of farmers cannot afford to pay perhaps $5,000 for certification, which might be what they would make in a year from the harvest. Big exporting companies might offer to help at this stage by funding the fees up front. The problem with that is that the certification will be owned by the exporter, not the farmer. The farmer is now locked into that company, and when the premiums are paid, they will go to the exporter, and it becomes unclear at this stage if the farmer will see any reward. In Aru's new model, the Liriano sisters knew they had to break out of the orbit of the traditional certification company and do their own thing. So Inaru will be a brand to stand for quality in the same way as an organic label. The difference will be that the NGOs doing the certification will enter into a joint venture with Inaru, so that they benefit from the growth of the business. The farmers will have a commercial contract with the company, that sees them getting paid a regular sum of money throughout the year, based on production estimates. The premium which they should have received for being fair trade certified, will now go 100% to them, and possibly a little extra on top. The company is clearly doing something right. When you look at the investors who are backing him, they include Mars, Hershey and Soylent. Another company is jumping on the lab-made cocoa bandwagon. This time, the slightly creepy-sounding Cult Foods Science Corp, which is an investment platform that focuses on lab-grown food products, has invested in California Cultured. 
In a press release they describe the company as follows. Based in Davis, California, California Cultured uses cell culture technology to produce cocoa products like cocoa powder, chocolate, and cocoa butter, with the goal of creating sustainable and ethical chocolate for consumption around the world. The company artificially manufactures the cocoa by cultivating optimum cocoa cells in tanks. All ingredients will be sourced from the United States, which, the company says, will ensure the company's products adhere to high ethical and sustainability standards. This is probably a good idea as it will also keep transport costs down, and from conversations we've had with other companies doing the same thing, it is important to the business model as well as for the ethical argument to source locally. This presents some challenges when expanding internationally however, because countries and regions have different resources in abundance. So the formula may need to be modified to suit available ingredients locally. The company makes an ESG statement related to the problems associated with cocoa production. Ultimately, if successful the overall process of cocoa production will be done without deforestation and child labor. California Cultured is motivated to find a solution to the major issues of concern at the root of chocolate production, while providing chocolate-loving consumers with premium cocoa products. I understand the value of creating an ethical halo over an emerging business brand, but the statements can sometimes feel disingenuous. As far as I know there are no profits going back to environmental organizations, nor is the company seeking B Corp certification. The argument perhaps is that their very existence, and nature of what they do, contributes toward ameliorating the industry's unethical practices. That has yet to be proven at scale, but it certainly is interesting to see the market develop. CFI failing to deliver, according to new report. Forests are still being lost at rates equal to the size of large cities, such as Seoul or Chicago, according to the environmental organization, The Mighty Earth. A recently published report investigated the progress made in Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire to reduce deforestation related to cocoa production. Since 2017 when the Cocoa and Forests Initiative, CFI, was created, environmental groups and governments have been working together to combat the ongoing issue of deforestation related to cocoa farming in Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire. While not all observers agree on the level of deforestation attributable to cocoa farming, nobody is disputing that it is a problem. For an explanation of what deforestation is, and to dive deeper into why it is such a difficult challenge to tackle, read our special report from 2021. The two West African regions account for almost two-thirds of the world's cocoa production, but the expansion of cocoa-growing areas has led to the removal of forests at an alarming rate. It is estimated that between them, the nations have lost 80-90% to 90% of their forests in the past few decades, according to Mighty Earth. The group conducted an analysis, which it based on information from supply chain mapping, satellite data analysis, and on-the-ground field investigations, and found that forests are still being lost at concerning rates. The organization's investigation led to the release of their critical report, Sweet Nothings, How the Chocolate Industry Has Failed to Honor Promises to End Deforestation in Cocoa Supply Chains. The report's title references a blueprint that was laid out in 2017 based on the Cocoa and Forests Initiative Framework for Action. 
The blueprint was signed by the two governments, as well as major chocolate manufacturers such as Mondelez and Nestle. Despite these efforts, Mighty Earth's analysis suggested that in Côte d'Ivoire, 74.9 square miles of forest have been lost since the publication of the plan, and in Ghana, this figure rises to a staggering 152.5 square miles. It is evident that the initiative is failing to deliver, according to Obed Owusuadai of ECA Ghana. Moreover, the report claims that deforestation may actually be getting worse in these areas when compared to previous years. In 2020, the average tree cover loss across Ghana was supposedly 150% higher than the average loss between 2011 to 2019. The initiative was not without challenge. However, Côte d'Ivoire's Ministry of Water and Forests estimates that 20-30% to 30% of all cocoa production in the country, approximately 2 million tons, was produced illegally, further damaging forested areas. The CEO of Mighty Earth, Glenn Hurewitz, had some stern words for chocolate companies, stating they need to stop making empty promises and start working together with governments in the CFI to establish an open and effective joint deforestation monitoring mechanism this year. It is not clear what is causing the initiative to fail, but a lack of resources is not seen to be one of the reasons. Suleiman Maton, General Coordinator of the Ivorian Human Rights Organization's RAID, comments, the cocoa industry has the same tools and far more resources than Mighty Earth to track and prevent deforestation, but limited willpower and lack of transparency and accountability continue to be the biggest roadblocks to progress. It should be noted that the terms forest and deforestation have many definitions, and therefore while it is difficult to extract the details of what is happening and who is responsible, it appears that the ambitions of the Cocoa Forest Initiative are unfortunately not being realized in the way many had hoped. ChocXO, which was founded in 2014 as a bean-to-bar chocolate company in Irvine, California, recently scaled production by adding capacity in its Canadian chocolate molding plant. They say that they use only fine-flavor cocoa beans that are naturally nutty, fruity, and less bitter than traditional bulk cocoa beans. Less bitterness means less need for additional sugar. Chocexo's products are now being more widely distributed across Quebec in what the company hopes will be the start of a much wider distribution. Peter Higgins, the president of the company said, We are excited about the recent gains in the Quebec market, a heavily populated province that has shown strong interest in our high-end cacao, low-in-sugar products. By partnering with like-minded retail partners who are making healthy and natural foods a priority, we know we can continue the momentum. The popularity of products such as ChocXO demonstrates the market demand for tasty chocolate snacks that won't spike your blood sugar. While there is a market perception that dark chocolate is bitter, the proliferation of low-sugar options is being targeted at people that want a healthier replacement to their regular treat. Keto, which is a form of diet that cuts out carbohydrates and puts the body into a state of ketosis, which burns fat for energy, is a diet that largely rules out consuming many types of mainstream chocolate. It's generally considered acceptable to have around 5 to 8 grams of carbohydrates on a keto diet at any one time, as this will not spike blood sugar high enough to take the body out of ketosis and start burning glucose for energy again.
ChalkXO has a range of products that are independently verified to be keto-friendly. This is what they say. Each of our keto products are certified by a third party as keto-compliant. To receive this certification, a snack item portion must contain less than 6 grams of total carbohydrates. By dramatically reducing the natural cane sugar content in our chocolate, we are well under keto certification limits. So feel free to snack healthily, knowing you are keeping your sugar and carb intake to a bare minimum. ICI Cash Transfer Experiment helps families and gets kids back to school. The International Cocoa Initiative, ICI, carried out a study in which 600 randomized Ghanaian cocoa-growing families in the Bromohofo and eastern regions received regular cash transfers over a period of six months. The study is purportedly the first of its kind and looked to measure the impact of a stable cash flow on child labor, which is a polarizing issue in the cocoa industry. Nestle recently implemented a similar program to reduce the financial strain on farming families and remove some underlying reasons contributing to children not attending school. In this instance, the program looked at the effect of a monthly cash transfer of approximately $30 on households and children in particular. The six-month experiment concluded with some key findings. Reduction in child labor. The cash transfers resulted in a 9.3% reduction of hazardous child labor in the area. This represents a significant decrease from the previously recorded prevalence of 58%. Although this is a step in the right direction, the remaining rate of child labor is still relatively high at 50%. Hazardous child labor is defined by the ILO as work which, by its nature or the circumstances in which it is carried out, is likely to harm the health, safety or morals of children. Matthias Lang, ICI's executive director, explains, during the six-month pilot, child labor significantly reduced. These results demonstrate the important role of income in tackling child labor, but also that it cannot solve the issue alone, even after the program, child labor prevalence remained relatively high at around 50%. Income support needs to be one part of a broader set of measures to prevent and address child labor. Improved material well-being The material well-being of the children under the program was noted to improve over the six-month period. This was measured in the amount of basic material needs items owned by a child. Increased resilience to unexpected hardships Households under the program were also more resilient to unforeseen events. The cash transfers allowed them to build up some wealth that could then be relied upon in instances of illness, inability to work or loss of earnings. This meant that households were less likely to resort to child labor or reduce basic necessities like food in order to cope. The study found that about two in three families in the sample experienced such adverse events. Still, those receiving the cash transfer were less likely to resort to negative coping strategies. Yodonko is an example of a farmer from Sanko who received the cash transfer as part of the program. As a result, he benefited from the extra money when he was struck with a sudden illness. I was seriously sick, explained Yo, I had some issues with my eyes, if not for the money, I have no idea how my children and I would have survived that period. 
While the findings of this study certainly are promising, there is more that needs to be considered if such programs are to be meaningfully implemented as part of the ongoing battle against child labor. How much money is transferred, how often and to who, are all factors that require further and longer-term study. The participating families in the control group collected six months of payments to maintain fairness in the community. The ICI partnered with ICOM to deliver the cash transfer program as part of an innovation project funded partly by the Swiss State Secretariat for Economic Affairs, SECO.